welcome to the world of lower league German football. This is Talking Football Extra, the Jaustik edition. My name is Nick Biltang and I'll bring you all the latest from the Bundesliga 2 and all the other glorious German lower leagues. Alongside with me there's ground hopping expert and lower league ref Mike Krikemeyer. So Mike, over there in Hamburg, how are you doing? Are you doing some stretching exercises that Sportvater Jan would have suggested that you should do? Well, it's that time of the year again where we prefer not to talk about football. <laughs> the other person joining me is Jasmine Barber, and she always loves talking about football, especially tactics. Additionally, she does live in a lovely northern German football city that actually does have a Bundesliga team. So, Jasmine, how are you doing over there in Bremen? It is very cold. Summer has gone. The Autumn is starting to set in and I am enjoying my international break because it feels very busy at the moment. Yes, I mean, legend has it that Klaus Olofs managed to persuade was Jeremy Kuh to sign for Werder Bremen by telling his wife that no, it doesn't snow in Bremen, but he forgot to mention how bloody cold it actually could get during winter times <laughs> in Bremen. Anyways, in part one of the show, we'll take a closer look at what has been going right in Braunschweig of late. What hasn't worked at St. Pauli? Sorry, Mike. Additionally, we'll be honoring Frank Schmidt's incredible achievement of having coached Heidenheim for 15 years. And in part two, we talk about a derby that you might never have heard about, but which you definitely should have on your radar. Mike will be dishing out some ground-hopping advice. Well, and there's going to be an awful lot more as well, so stay tuned for all of that. Here we go with the Bundesliga 2 section of our show. And guys, let's start in Braunschweig. Now, at the start of the season, all three of us did predictions. And as I mentioned many, many times during that podcast, this is sort of like the stuff that gives you egg on your face throughout an entire season. And now Braunschweig, the side that all three of us have predicted to be rock bottom, have suddenly, you know much like Stella, gotten their groove back. <laughs> so, anyone want to venture a guess of what has happened here? They probably listen to our podcast, because it seems like this keeps on happening, that we say that one team is going to do terribly, and they listen, and the next week they win, and Braunschweig seems to be no exception. But what I like about Braunschweig at the moment is when we did talk about them, they said they were going to do things slowly to try not be a yo-yo club between Bundesliga and Dritte Liga. And while I thought, uh, you know, it might not be too good for them to go that way, but it was nice to see them take that kind of step to try and have some longevity into the Liga. it seems like it actually might be working. So some of their recruitment over the summer was a little bit risky, which has seemed to paid off. And I don't know about their recruitment system or how they matched to these players or in some cases how they got these players, but included signing Anthony Uja, who had been at Union Berlin, was released on a free, not sure if his contract ran out or they terminated his contract, hadn't played in 20 months due to injuries and surgery on his injuries. They signed him on a free and 
Braunschweig has introduced him quite slowly to the league. So the first four games, only around 20 minutes. And for some reason, he has completely exploded for them in the last few games. I'm just going to bring up his stats because I cannot remember how many goals he has. So the last four games, he's been starting pretty regularly, more than 70 minutes game, four goals and an assist, which has been proven to be, you know, match winners against Karlsruhe, the 2-1, which was their last game. They signed uh, Emmanuel Ferrai, which is a really, really big steal. He was a really talented player at second team at Dortmund, only 21. He also has two goals and three assists. He's started a lot more regularly than Uja. And those two in particular have linked up really well. There's also something to say about their fixtures. Their first three fixtures were Hamburg, Heidenheim and Darmstadt, which is, you know, top six from last season so you're not really gonna win those if you're a promoted team and they've seemed to have gotten points of Dusseldorf now they've won against Nuremberg drawn against Hanover who is now looking pretty strong and won the mid-table games so once they have a few more easier games they got a bit unlucky with Bielefeld because that was the point where they changed their manager and face that new manager effect. Once they start playing a few more mid-table, lower-table teams, it'll be really interesting to see if they can keep those kind of results up. If they do, they could be looking at being safe for a season, which we haven't seen for quite a while. Yes, I mean, they actually have gone up or down 11 times in the last two decades, which makes them... uh, the yo, biggest yo, yo-yo yo, yo. or elevator yo, side of them all in Germany. Uh, Mike, do you agree with Jasmine that uh, Eintracht Braunschweig might actually start to look like a side that could stay in the league? I mean, seven points from the last three matches. Anthony Uja inspired signing four goals in the last three for him as well. Three of the last three goals have been scored by him. Is that the recipe for success for them to stay in the league? Yeah, well, I think St. Pauli would be happy to have a guy like Uja at the moment. Um, nevertheless, uh, what I did not have on my screen, but I was just surprised when Jasmine told that in the first three games they they played against HSV, Heidenheim and Darmstadt. So that's really a good reason to go with zero points out of these three games. And well, yeah, they took up a pace and uh, to get a point in Hanover to win against Nuremberg and Karlsruhe, it's not impossible. So I think there will be also other games in the near future. Uh, but the next game in Kaiserslautern, that would be a more challenging one. Then they have a very easy game at home against St. Pauli. <laughs> <laughs> and then they do play Magdeburg and Wolfsburg in the cup. So yeah, I, I wouldn't overestimate the last three games let's wait and see how they do manage the october so i'm still not convinced that they will make it until the end i mean for me a lot of this has to do with anthony Ucher, the way he moves and the way he can you know convert chances in at this level he is basically a guy who had he not been injured as much as he had for the last 20 months he probably would have stayed in the Bundesliga or joined a side in the Bundesliga too, which is slightly more ambitious than Eintracht Braunschweig. So for them, it's a stroke of luck. But on the other hand, so a lot of 
a lot of things are going to depend on if they can manage to keep him fit throughout the entire season, in my mind, because he's probably their single most important player, you know, so far this season. So that's going to be the end exciting thing to see for them. Anyways, uh, Mike, you said you don't want to talk about anything related to Zampaulian football. You know, I'm, I make you talk about that even if you don't want to because, hey man, what, what's up? Yeah. 2-0 loss against Regensburg. Uh, we, we did really great on the weekend. Our blind football team is German champion now. Uh, can we talk about that? Yes. Yes, of course. Mm. You know, we, we once did an episode about blind football. Uh, if you want to dive into that, it's uh, there in your podcast feed. And a lot of interesting things go on within blind football. And it's an interesting game, which Mike actually referees in, in the Bundesliga, right? I do. I do. Yeah, it's great. But okay, yeah, I see you want to me to talk about the Ringsburg game. Well, as always in football, first minute, free kick, Pacarada hits the post. If that goes in, you can't lose 2-0. <laughs> you can lose 2-1, yes, right. <laughs> yeah. And then we receive that penalty. Felix Zweier and myself, we might not become best buddies in the near future. I don't know. He was the guy in the Cologne office who told uh, referee Winter to get to the review area and take a closer look at it. For me... It's not a penalty. If he whistles that penalty on the pitch, okay. But there is no need to to send him to the review area because it was definitely no mistake. And yeah, that's the way it is. When you are not lucky, you, you get free kicks to the post and penalties against you like that one. On the other hand, it was the, what is it, the, the ninth match day. And for... The seventh time we do concede two goals. You can't argue on that. So that's definitely a big, big issue at the moment. And some years ago, we managed to score three or four goals every game. And then you can concede two. But if you don't do that, yeah, well, you lose games. And in this game, we didn't have even have so much chances to be created from our side. So yeah, it's it's... We are definitely in a crisis at the moment and the next games are not getting easier for us. So we have Heidenheim at home. Maybe a team from the upper part of the league is easier for us. So let's wait and see. But at the moment, the atmosphere around St. Pauli is not the best, apart from the blind football team, of course. Everybody loves the Zampari blind football team. Actually, one of their players once scored the goal of the month in Germany. That is on YouTube as well. So a lot of great stuff going on there. Anyways, uh, moving across town from St. Pauli, uh, Jasmine, HSV. I mean, what a few weeks it has been. I, I remember us talking after them losing to Darmstadt and, you know, the board member Torsten Wüstefeld or Desert Fields, as, as he's referred to by the St. Pauli fans. He, um, you know, wasn't the headlines because he'd sold, you know, his faulty medical equipment or whatever it was, or what was it? He overcharged for medical equipment. I can't even remember because it's so silly. And additionally, you know, he was also in the news because he had bought some shares from Klaus Michael Kühne, which he then took to court. You know, it was a shit show of sorts. And additionally, Tim Walter was looking like he was getting into trouble. Now, that was after the loss against Darmstadt. But if we look at the table now, HSV 
are sitting pretty. They're topping the table. And since that loss against Darmstadt, they've actually won four out of four. They've won 2-0 against Nuremberg on the road. They've won 1-0 in a tight match against Karlsruhe. They almost screwed the pooch against Holstein Kiel when they managed to make it very exciting after leading 3-0 and ended up winning 3-2. Now on the weekend, comfortable 2-0 win against Düsseldorf. So what do we think? I mean, four weeks ago, we were talking about, well, Tim Walter. One or two more losses from those four matches he might have to go. Now the Hamburg media are saying, well, his contract is up. You should extend it. Where are we on that? No idea, but do you know what's crazy? They've only conceded five goals this season. And, you know, two of them were conceded against Kiel after they were 3-0 up. So you could say, like, that could realistically be three goals in nine games that they've conceded. As I said in that last podcast, when we talked after their loss against Darmstadt, Tim Falter has an incredible gift. I don't know what exactly he does, but he has an incredible gift of taking the pressure off his team. We saw it at the end of last season when they were going for that third spot. But it's kind of different now because before they had no pressure really because they were so far behind, they had nothing to lose to win to get third. I'm interested to see how it turns out because they're first for once and we obviously know whoever's top of the table come mid-season has in the last, what, five, six years failed to get promoted. And most of those times have been Hamburg. So if they do end up top of the table this time round, We'll see if they can actually manage to stay there or to get into a promotion spot. I have no idea what the feeling is around Tim Valter. It is definitely fair to say that he has been one of the better coaches in terms of pressure and also play. He has a very consistent way of playing in his team playing. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. I said their clinical ability sometimes lets them down in terms of someone compared to Darmstadt or Paderborn who scores more goals than they do. They're still weak on goal scoring compared to their competitors. But the way that they play, the way that they manage to stick together, even though whatever happens at board level seems to be complete chaos at any given time, is definitely something. And If they do, I feel like he should get to extend his contract. However, that is based on them being in the top three. They have spent the most money out of anyone in the league. So if he fails to make the top three or promotion, then maybe not. But um, right now, yeah, his performances has proved that he's probably the most consistent Hamburg manager. So yeah, I, I would personally stick with him (laughs) i mean over there in hamburg mike is still taking classes to become an uber driver in order to be able to drive tim walter to the airport once he's sacked (laughs) let's talk about a coach who hasn't been sacked for quite some time and that is frank schmidt yes we do like frank schmidt if you want to see what he's like in the dressing room look no further than alertius pauses movie trainer which used to be available on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, uh, but I'm sure that the DVD version is, you know, sold on Amazon and such. 
<laughs> anyway, so he has been at Heidenheim for 15 years now. His team didn't give him the best of gifts. They only managed a 2-2 draw against Kaiserslautern, giving up a 2-1 lead and... <laughs> You know, doing that with one man more on the pitch. Kaiserslautern keeper Andreas Lute was actually sent off. Be that as that may, Frank Schmidt, 15 years at Heidenheim, what do we think? I mean, how has the man managed to accomplish something that very few have managed to accomplish at that higher level? I don't know how he did that, but as the three of us do have a very special connection to Bremen, of course, the name Otto Rehagel needs to be mentioned here. So he's in his footsteps and um, yeah, let's wait and see how he manages the upcoming months because what else could be the end of that run if not going up to the first division? So, And then maybe this year they are on the roll. They, they need to do it. And, and I would be really, really happy for him. So we had him once on our podcast when uh, he when in the pandemic he drove the bus with the Heidenheim players to the game at St Pauli so he's such an extraordinary guy and i really like him and i would be so happy for him and for the club if they go up and in addition it would be also fun to see the DFL selling tv rights to asia with the as the FC Heidenheim in the first division, this is also a bonus. Yeah, I mean, when, you know, one of those DFL marketing geniuses, uh, you know, probably the same guy who came up with the, that stupid name, Der Klassiker, says, well, we also got Heidenheim against Mainz in the Bundesliga this season. What do you think? You know, they should make a Netflix TV show about that. Anyways, uh, to add a little bit more about what Frank Schmidt has accomplished here, uh, he's actually managed to lift that team from being a side that was threatened by relegation in the fifth tier to Bundesliga 2 club. And under his guidance, they've turned from, you know, being said fifth tier side that was threatened by relegation to become one of the best teams that we've seen in the Bundesliga 2, you know, over the last few years. I mean, they're consistently in the top half of the table. And they managed to do that with very limited resources. So, Jasmine, can, can you tell me how they do that? I mean, how can you do that so consistently over the years? It's, it's like the Bundesliga 2 version of Freiburg, almost. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure of how their structure works, but Frank Schmidt plays a big part in the adapting his way of play he's one of the best in doing so actually throughout German football and throughout the fifth tier to the second tier he has consistently worked to his players strengths so individual player roles and also adapting his own skill set so anyone who watched them I would say five plus years ago they were more counter-attack inside didn't really like possession so much but if you watch them today they are a lot more possession based than work through quick transitions in their football which has always made them a very hard side to break down and to defeat um, and this all works because of consistency they are always top half because they stick with the manager that they know and changing managers all the time like HSV has done in the past is never a good sign because players never seem to settle 
you don't really have a long-term plan to work things like this. And that's where Heidenheim do really, really well, despite the lack of resources that they have. So yeah, and he manages to coach players really, really well. Never heard a bad word about him. He was on Sky 24 during, I think, the Sunday games this weekend too, uh, or the Saturday late game. They were interviewing him. I can't tell you what he said because I've forgotten and my German is not the greatest, but if you do have access to going back to that interview, do because I'm pretty sure he said some really interesting things during that. I'm sure he did. And anyways, his contract is still running until 2027. So as things stand, he is going to be a time for him for quite some time. Moving on, changing topics to something less cheerful. German police have started to use drones as surveillance tools to monitor football fans during matches. Mike, that sounds like one for you. Yeah. I mean, you're probably not surprised. No. <laughs> but what on earth are they thinking? Yeah, I don't know. The issue is, of course, and then you might bring that up as a point, football fans are watched all the time by surveillance cameras at the station, around the stadium, in the stadium, and so on. So what is the issue with adding also drones as an additional camera perspective? But of course, you can really, really focus on certain guys with that thing. And why on earth should you do that? So I don't see the benefit of that at all. And um, especially now in, in the games in Rostock against HSV, against St. Pauli, they brought up that system. They argued or they brought up the point that they might save some money by using drones and then they don't need any helicopters anymore. Well, okay, I can't follow that point. But in those two games against HSV and St. Pauli, there were drones and helicopters. So they didn't save anything. I, I, I don't really understand. But you know, the drone is steered from a helicopter. So it's, it's not a surveillance helicopter. It's a steering of the drone helicopter. <laughs> Good idea. But no, it was <laughs> definitely an additional helicopters with some police officers in there. Oh, so. damn it. You, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of like, you know, whenever I take someone from Norway to a football match in, in Germany, I, I remember taking my, my girlfriend for the first time and, and you know, went to Bremen for the match was against her to Berlin. Werder Bremen and Hertha Berlin are not necessarily like the, the fiercest of rivals. You know, you can you go to a pub and have a pint with a Hertha Berlin fan if you're a Werder Bremen fan without breaking into a fist fight. It's not like a rivalry against HSV, but you know, there was so much police presence all along the Weser. I mean, we came, she sort of like said to me, uh, you know, I counted 75 police cars and I've stopped counting. There's so many of them for a match that isn't a heated affair. You know, I mean, you wonder if German football matches are over-policed. And additionally, there's also something called that, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but there's something written in, in policing theory that if you have more police officers on the job, you will get more crimes reported. So of course, as long yeah. as you increase the sure. number of police officers, you will also get more crime reports. Of course, and... In addition, we do have the discussion in Germany for a couple of years now that the football clubs should take the costs of the police actions on match days 
And especially this discussion is uh, huge in, in Bremen because there the Bremen police charged Werder already. High-risk matches only, I think, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, correct. And the problem is, from my point of view and from, from also from many other people, who decides if this is a high-risk match and who decides how many police people are at that game. And as long as we have no other information than this is decided by the police and it's charged by the police. No, I'm not willing to pay that at all from from a football perspective. Of course, I need to do it as as a citizen. As a taxpayer, um, yeah. Yeah, as a taxpayer. But I really would like to question why are the police showing up with so many people and with all this technical equipment. And I, I just uh, listened to a podcast today where someone was telling about the 80s and when, when he said, yeah, we arrived there with 500 people in a train and then we welcomed the two police officers and they guided us to the stadium and wished us a nice day and so on. Of course, we don't have that situation anymore. There is more police involved. I understand that. But I will never understand this high amount of police people at the games and especially for the away supporters. Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, away support in Norway is not a big thing. But, you know, whenever I go to football matches here in Stavanger, I mean, I'm rattled by the presence of one or two police cars, never mind 75. So I think there's something to be said that keeping police out of sight is a good thing at football matches. I don't think that having almost as many police officers as fans at matches is a good thing. And again, again, you know, when you see stuff like what happened between Wolfsburg and Bremen, where, you know, the Lower Saxony Police Department suddenly decided that this is a high-risk match. I mean, were Bremen fans showing animosity against Wolfsburg fans? I mean, first of all, which fans? <laughs> Second of all, you know, that's never been an incident at any of those matches. And suddenly, you know, you see fans being forced into... You're rather circumspect circumstances where they are not allowed to use bathrooms, where they have to be stationed in, in one part of the train station because, you know, the police says this is a high-risk match. You know, you have to show ID before you move on and you'll be guided to the stadium. Absolutely horseshit. Anyways, before we run out of time with our Bundesliga 2 segment, let's, let's just do a couple of quick fire storylines. And, uh, well, Jasmine, let's start with you. While being 2-0 down to Darmstadt, Nuremberg fans threw a empty beer cup at Toby Kemper, who went down and the game was stopped for a couple of minutes. Nothing really happened, as people who've probably seen the Bochum-Gladbach match that last season, that where the points were awarded to Gladbach because Bochum fans threw a beer at the fourth official, nothing like that happened in this game, mainly because Toby Kemper was okay and also didn't really complain. Wanted to get on with the match, was in round in the 65th minute where he was hit and didn't really make a big deal out of it. He then said in a Kinka interview that there's always going to be idiots and he is glad that... I, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was like... As he's played for Nuremberg for the year, he felt the loyalty to Darmstadt and went back after one season for playing for Nuremberg. So yeah, and ended that with, there'll always be idiots. Nuremberg aren't doing so well, so probably that fueled 
to throw an empty cup. Uh, Toby Kemper also said he wished there was something in it because he could have done with the electrolytes during the match. Right, loads of electrolytes and beer. Anyways, uh, Greutherford, and this is my quick five-star round, Greutherford, they got their first win of the season. 2-1 win over Paderborn, which means that HSV are now topping the table. Paderborn are second. Now, Greutherford, there was a lot of speculation whether or not Mark Schneider would make it until the end of the match day and into the international break. He managed to do just that. Bramer Hagotter getting the second goal for... That's clear blood, which uh, means that, uh, you know, Schneider lives to breathe another day in third. But um, seven points from uh, ten matches. It doesn't look good. So, still on thin ice, but he still keeps going. Anyways, Kiel, Mike, are they in crisis? Yeah, well, you scored two goals in Paderborn. You scored two goals against HSV and you scored two goals in Bielefeld. And you get zero points out of these three games. So that's a quite thrilling statistic, I think. And they got only one point out of the last three games. And this was the game where they scored no goal. It was in Regensburg, who normally also score no goals, unless they play against St. Pauli, of course. (laughs) So, yeah, I think you need to keep in mind that they changed the whole stuff before the season including also the very famous ex-St. Pauli players Fabian Ball so maybe the team and also the new coaching staff need to get used to each other so on the other hand Steven Skripsky he scored that fabulous goal against SV Sandhausen otherwise they would have also not won that game so yeah I think they do struggle a little bit but the other way around as Braunschweig I would not see them in a crisis at the moment so I said that Braunschweig might get into a crisis again this was the point I wanted to make so here Kiel I think they will come back and they probably do that when they come back uh, after the international break against Rostock. Great. Finn Bartles to score two in that match. This is it for part one of the show. Stay tuned. In part two, we'll be diving into a lot of lower league action. Here we go with part two of the show and, well, let's start in a place that we've visited a few times already so far this season on our show and that is Erzgebirger Hour. Now, since, you know, the last time we spoke about them, we spoke about the fact that a Dynamo Dresden fan had put on a graffiti onto the wall of their fan block with the, you know, a Dynamo Dresden logo and stuff, which was really sort of like Jason Bourne-like. But this time around, we have to talk about something that's a little, slightly more serious because things are really starting to unravel at our president, Leonhardt. He resigned to calm things down. Coach Timo Ross was fired after he didn't win a single one of his first nine matches. Only three points so far this season. And now, today, we're recording this on Wednesday. Interim president Torsten Enders comes out and kicker and says that the team is divided into many different fractions. Wow. So, um, where to start with this? I mean, this seems to be one of the biggest masses a newly relegated side has managed to get itself into. 
I was about to say, has there been anything like this from a fighter Bundesliga team getting relegated into third league? Würzburg, yeah. Oh, yeah, Würzburg, yeah. So since last year. <laughs> yeah. You know. I think that one, that one you could kind of see it coming. Würzburg never really recovered. And with our, I think... For some reason, everyone thought they were going to recover for some reason. Yeah, because they, they often did it in the past. Yeah, yeah. and I've, I remember seeing the scenes at, when they lost to Darmstadt last season where the fans tried to jump the wall and um, some of their players were quite shaken. And it's interesting because I got asked, like, their team has changed, there's been a high turnover do you think that they're going to get back to their best? And I was like, there's really no evidence to say they can or they cannot. Timo Rost did a fantastic job at Bayreuth, you know, got them promoted. And we were all thinking, okay, he can probably do a job there. But when they lost against Athens Exig on the weekend, we were watching uh, Sport in Austin and the presenter... I can't remember his name. One of the presenters just basically laid into their whole procedure and their way of doing things. It was like, where is the president? He's not there. They don't have, really have a scouting department. No one's taking accountability. And went onto this like five minute rant. And it was quite amazing to see someone just drag out everything that was going wrong with our on basically primetime TV, football TV. And I think it, it kind of goes in, if you look at all the resignations that is currently happening and everything you, Nick, just said, you've got Helga Leonhardt resigned to try and calm things down. Do I think that's right? Okay, maybe if you're the pinnacle of the problems yourself, yes, resigning would calm it down. Then you also have Michael Voig, the board member who has been off on leave on sick, but who is set. Everyone thinks who's going to hand in his resignation as well. So that's a president and a board member. Maybe that change from top is going to be a good thing, but there is a lot of work to do. Everyone's now saying, oh, at least we can work now and we can work together and maybe all of this and getting a new coach that they also need to decide on um, will be a step forward and players will feel energised. But the players who are there who have just been relegated don't know how to win. They know how to win even less because they've gone, what, nine games winless. It's very hard to be emotionally attached at that point it's very hard to be like yes I can perform at my best when there's all this chaos around you they need someone who can bring that together really quickly and yeah they're in real big trouble and I don't know who they can bring in to fix all of that basically so smells of Felix Maggot <laughs> it's not cool. What about uh, the Toguchi Minchin manager who was at a new club for like two games before he resigned? I know him. What's his name? Peter Hubala? Yeah, Peter Hubala. Yeah, that's, that's probably not going to end well. <laughs> Anyways. Our fans are going to find my address by the end of this. 
To be fair, they didn't find my address the last time I picked on them from the video of their fans. Well, so. they were doing the picking in that video. Anyways, <laughs> moving on from the bottom of the table to the very top of the table, Elvisburg is now there. Elvisburg, who, you know, yes, who indeed. Uh, they are newly promoted and they are in first. Yeah. You know, they managed to get another result, uh, 3-1 on the road against Halle this weekend. So how on earth have Elvisburg, a newly promoted side, managed to gather 22 points in nine matches and accumulate a goal difference of plus 15. And not to forget, they beat Bayer Leverkusen in the first DFB Pokal Cup round. True, true, very true. Yeah. So why are they there? Fantastic and fascinating. And um, I think no one would have guessed that. So uh, I think... Some people expected Bayreuth to play a good role in that uh, league just because of romantic feelings and Bayreuth, such a traditional club and so on. Uh, yeah, they are 18th or 19th at the moment, I don't know. And I was big at that top of the league. And um, yeah, their coach, Horst Steffen, he's a great player from the past, uh, has not been so famous up to now as a coach, but he's in Elversberg since 2018 and they do have Luca Schnellbacher as their top goal scorer with seven goals who also did not have this big past as a big player in Germany so he was at Preußen Münster some years ago but he's also there in Elversberg for two or three years now so it is quite surprising at the moment I think and um, in the first few match days, they reminded me of uh, Victoria Berlin, who did a similar start last year, but they went down to Regionalliga again at the end of the season. I would not say that this can't happen to Elvisburg, but it does not look like it at the moment. Right. I mean, you know, I've just seen them from highlights and such, but what struck me when I, you know, was preparing for this podcast today is, is the fact that they actually seem to have a rather well-balanced squad. I mean, there's a lot of up-and-coming talent, a lot of players who got experience from the you know third tier and lower divisions. But on the other hand side, you actually have a few guys there in like Carrera, the defender, and Nick Voltermater, the striker, who's on loan from Werder Bremen, who do have some Bundesliga experience. So, you know, you've got a good mix of both experience and, you know, young talent there. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see what they can accomplish. And given that they've already gathered 22 points, things look good in terms of staying in the league, at least, uh, to say the least. And for a club with only 520 members and a stadium that has a capacity of 10,000 people, quite an accomplishment. Uh, Jasmine, do, do you have anything you want to add? Not on Elfersberg themselves. But I just thought of something in the Dritte Liga when um, Mike was saying um, Bayreuth was 19th or 18th. I was thinking, who's near them? Obviously, ours last, as we just said. But um, Dortmund's second team, who was also... Were they promoted into that league or were they good in that league last season? Yeah, they were. One of the two, I can't remember. They were remember. in third league last year already. Marsen also, it was their coach back then, went to... Um, Augsburg. Out, yeah, went to Augsburg. And they hired Preussner, who was last year's Dusseldorf's manager. And I... Yeah, this is basically about him, because um, I forgot... I thought 
Schalke was going to hire him in the season because they hadn't hired anyone and I still wasn't convinced by him and now apparently they won on the weekend against uh, Svikau but they are not doing so well they've lost six games and they everyone predicted for them to do quite well in this league and he's not doing so well so I just thought yeah it's Spider Bundesliga managers there now and he's not doing so well so that has basically confirmed my thoughts that he wasn't very good because everyone was expecting him to do good there but no he is not so yes not about Elfersberg as well but Deutsche Liga at the end of the table because that's quite fun isn't it Alright, now let's move on to the Regionalliga Nordwest. I actually got a couple of stories from that very division. And uh, Mike, let's start off with you. You've got an update on Babelsberg and racism. Yeah. How does that mesh? Well, usually it matches quite well because uh, often Babelsberg is uh, the victim of racism or uh, the Babelsberg fans, they are a very, very active fan scene when it comes to fight against racism. But... Now they are on the other side of the table. So there is a player of Babelsberg, Rico Gladru. He was now suspended for five games because in a game against... I forgot the other team name. It was... BSG Chemie. BSG Chemie, right. BSG Chemie. He should have said something like, well, this black guy from Fürstenwalde. And... Yeah, in Germany, as you know, you should especially not call uh, other people by their uh, color. In the end, um, the Nordostdeutscher Fußballverband was not the most famous one for their anti-racism campaigns in the last couple of years. And now they made this suspension against this guy because of this racial abuse. And Babelsberg themselves, who are quite active against racism, they argue now that this was not, well, it was not no racism intended. It's a difficult topic, but if you call another guy because of his color, the black guy from Fürstenwalde, whew, what else should be the reason than racism? I, so I can't really follow the the um, arguments from, from Babelsberg. Um, but in the end, they said, okay, we will not appeal against that. We will follow that verdict and um, it's okay for us because the Nordostdeutsche Fußballverband said they want to get stricter or more strict on that topic, racism in general, from now on. Yeah, maybe they should have started uh, some months ago with better exercises, but in the end, um, it is a racial abuse. Yes, decades, yes, indeed. I mean, what, one thing that... <laughs> You know, there's, there's always a but and an if and um, some cavats here. But I, I seem to remember, I think it was Cedric Teuchert when he was an Union Berlin player. There was a quite quite a heated match between Bayer Leverkusen and Union Berlin during, you know, the COVID area when uh, there were no spectators. And there were allegations of racial abuse against Nadim Amriri, which the DFB, you know, then said in its verdict, no, there was no racism at the match, but it was unsporting behavior and the Union Berlin players involved were punished for that. But what was picked up by the cameras was that uh, Teuchert uh, turned to, I think it was one of the wingers of Bayer Leverkusen. I don't remember which one of them it was, but a foreign player. 
And, you know, he, he told him like several times over, man, we are in fucking Germany here. Get the fuck up. It was Tulane Bailey. I wrote about this. Yeah, and you know, I mean... So that's why I brought it up. It was Bailey. There you go. It was a player who wasn't... He was not playing at Liverpool anymore, right? Anyway, so, you know, that wasn't punished at all by the DFB. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> you can quite clearly hear the implied racism here if you have, you know, a functioning brain cell or two at work. But that was okay. I mean, Gladrow, what he's basically saying, my defense is ignorance. I just, you know, I saw a black fella and I called him black. What's wrong with that? I mean, how can one thing be okay whilst the other isn't? I mean, there seems to be not a clear-cut line here from footballing authorities. You know, from the DFB and downwards. And whilst I would agree that the uh, NOFF uh, getting tough on these things is a good thing, I wonder, I mean... Shouldn't there be a more clear line going from the top and downwards? Yep. And they should have started some months or even years ago. Yep. I, I think we need to wait for, for the next things that will happen in their region um, to, to judge if now this is really the start of something new and it was just Babelsberg more or less by mistake. But yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of like it smells also a bit like the NOFF who've been at odds with Babelsberg for many, many years over, you know, issues like racism. Now they can set you an example and they can do it with a Babelsberg player. So, you know, I mean, once an Energy Coppers player says something similar and gets away with it, we will have an answer. But, you know, it stands to be seen. Anyways, uh, staying in the same region, and we'll have to do this very, very quickly because we're quickly running out of time here. Last weekend, the Ringer Derby uh, took place. That is the match between Rot Weiss Erfurt and uh, Karl Zeiss Jena. Probably a match or derby that you haven't heard about because it takes place in the fourth tier. Uh, these two teams have not always played in the same division, so there have been a lot of years where this match hasn't taken place. But anyways, it took place on the 18th of September this year. 13,000 fans, yes, 13,000 fans were present during a fourth-tier match. There was even a fan march through the city of uh, Erfurt by uh, the Rot-Weiss Erfurt fans. match ended 1-1, uh, which helped neither side really. It meant that Jena failed to get to the top of the table, whilst Erfurt are still four points adrift. The top of the table, uh, that position in the Regionalliga Nord-Ost is currently held by Berliner AK. Anyways, only six matches have been played so far in the Regionalliga Nord-Ost. But uh, Mike... Can you quickly tell me how big these two teams are? Well, they have been big teams definitely back uh, when Germany was divided into two countries. They always, for, for my knowledge at least, they, they more or less all the time played in the first division. And that's, of course, also the reason why they do still have a very big fan base. And uh, yeah, like like Magdeburg and Halle, when they play each other, there are always big noises. And it's the same with, with Erfurt and Jena. And especially as Jena is one of the teams which do have a more left-wing orientated fan scene. So um, maybe this, this political issue also comes into place when they play each other. Right. I remember the Rotwas Erfurt fans uh, protesting their club because they include the rainbow color in some, some sort of their club work during Pride Month, which, you know, they seem to think that, you know, that, that was taking things a little bit too far. So, um, 
doesn't surprise me if they would take issue with the left wing's fancy, if I'm honest. Anyways, time for some ground hopping advice. Yeah, as time moves quickly, I will keep it short. I will tell you the ground which is most to the north in Germany that I have visited at the moment. And this is the stadium of the SV Friesia 03 Riesum Lindhorn. I will repeat that. SV Friesia 03 Riesum Lindhorn. It's a very famous club at least in that little village. <laughs> they play in the Schleswig-Holstein Oberliga. And I mention that today because at the weekend, they won against Husuma SV in front of 150 fascinated spectators. After being 0-2 down at halftime, they are last of the table. And in the 88th minute, Jago Haider scored the 3-2 winner for them, which was the first win to them in the Flensoberliga this year. And they do play in the Nico Nissen Stadium. It's a place with no stands at all. It has a nice Clubheim, a nice bar at end. Uh, and uh, they, they don't have that much to see but it's the most northern place i've ever been to in germany at least yeah wow that is uh fascinating and you know the local paper somebody alert them they probably would write a story about them being mentioned on an english language podcast uh hooray <laughs> anyways who was nico nissen by the way i i think it's a sponsor i tried to google that but i forgot to do it i will bring it up next episode Right. Anyways, great stuff. Uh, if you want to go north, go to the Nico Nissen Stadium to see a dreadful team turn around matches. This is it for another edition of Talking Foosball Extra, the Ausstieg edition. This episode has been produced by Aiden Rand 2. Guys, always a blast having you on. Mike, where can people find your work and where can they find you on Twitter? On Twitter, you can find me on Mike Crew, and you better follow instead of myself, the Milanton. Jasmine. You can find me on Twitter, underscore Jasmine Barber, where any work I do is basically on there. Right, you can find me, Nick Viltagen, at Normusings. If you do like to quiz, 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 quiz your mind with German football questions, do download the FC Quiz app. I'm the guy writing all the questions related to German football there. Lots of other great football quizzes on that app as well, so I highly recommend that. Additionally, you should follow this podcast on Twitter at TalkingFoosball. Give us a rating in iTunes. It does help for other people to find this podcast. And with that, I think it is goodbye for now.